0: And now, coming to you live from the... Where the hell are we? We're, we're in San Jose, California at the Worldcon 76.
1: And now, coming to you live from there, it's Jonathan Strand and Gary K. Wolf with <laughs> very special guest Joe Walton on The Groot
0: Street Podcast! And we're back after a while, so thanks for joining us again, Joe. It's, uh, it's always fun to talk because you're such a great reader of science fiction. Uh, it's fun to talk about your fiction... But it's fun to talk about your incredible memory for everything you've ever read, especially these Hugo nominees. So let's talk about that.
2: Actually, I don't have an incredible memory. I look things up just like everybody else. Oh, that's so... Um. Oh, I'm, so <laughs> <hard>. I'm sorry.
1: Well, <laughs> it will probably be best to say, I mean, years and, well, some years ago you did a series of blog posts for Tor.com about right. the history of the Hugos. Now, that's yeah. segued into the book that's just coming out, yeah. An Informal History of the Hugos. Yeah. What prompted you to
2: do that as a starting point? The, uh, the, first, the thing that started me doing the series of blog posts was uh, Mike Gliar on File 770. Uh, in 2010, we had a tie for the Hugos, The City and the City, and Wind Up Girl, uh, tied, mm-hmm. which which meant, you know, exactly the same number of votes, which is incredible. Hmm. And Mike Glier mentioned this on file seven seventy and he said this had only happened twice before in Hugo history, uh but history had judged which was correct. Uh and the two times it had happened before were uh Frank Herbert's Dune with Roger Zelazny's This Immortal, also known as And Call Me Conrad. Mm-hmm. Uh and um, Connie Willis uh Doomsday Book and Verna Vinci Fire Upon the Deep so he said that and then he went on to say you know anybody can see that the Willis and uh, Dune were better and I thought no they <laughs>
0: can't
2: <laughs> you silly person um, and, uh, and I thought I, I just all at once got the idea that it would be very interesting to look at not just the winners and the books that had won the Hugos but all the nominees because it's very hard to say that anything is the best book of the year, mm-hmm. but it's very, very easy. If you look at those four books that I've said, yeah, I don't think there's any year where those four books wouldn't be among the four best sure. books of the year. Or indeed all six, if you count the city in the city and, and oh, right. Uh, right. And so I thought I would look at the nominees and see whether they were the five best books of the year, which meant looking at everything else that was published that year Mm. and looking at them in context. And I didn't realise anything like how much work it would be to do this so that I could have it every Sunday as a blog post on Mm. Tor.com. But I did that. And I was only really looking at the novels. I was giving a cursory glance to the other categories and talking about it a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. But then, as the series went on, it got a lot of comments, and particularly, mm-hmm. Rich Horton and Gordon Dazois started to post every single week discussing the short mm-hmm. fiction, mm-hmm. and they were doing practically as much work as I was doing, because they were looking at all the short fiction that was published right. in the year, as well as the nominees, and talking about them, and it, it was great. And there were also sort of great comments from other people as well, and, and it, was, it was a really fun thing to do, and I did it for however many weeks it is, from 1953 to uh, 2000, and I stopped in 2000, a lot of people wanted me to carry on going, and it was mm. 2011, Yeah, uh, and I didn't want to, because I was first published in 2000. And I didn't want to start looking at 2001, the Hard as a couple nominee, mm-hmm. and say, well, I was obviously better than everybody
0: else. But, I should have won. <laughs>
2: no, but you can't say that. But you also can't say, well, I didn't deserve to win. Whatever you say, you're wrong <laughs> Yeah, right. in that situation. It, 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 it's rotten. You, you shouldn't do it. It's, it's not It's not comfortable, and it's not really ethical, and I wasn't comfortable yeah. with it. So I stopped in <laughs> 2000 for that reason, which was also conveniently the Clock of the Century So that made it convenient. And then uh, it was suggested that I make the posts into a book. Sure. And in the summer of 2014, I did a signing tour on Amtrak promoting Mm -hmm. My Real Children. And on the train, I edited the posts and the best of the comments and the essays I'd written about the various books, not every single book, but, you know, when I'd got an essay about one of the books, uh, to edit it down to a reasonable length. It's still enormous. It's a real sort of fly swatter book. It's huge. But to edit it down to something that it was possible to publish. Yeah, yeah. And I got that done, really, by the end of that tour. But when we were looking then at publishing it, in 2015, it didn't seem like a good idea, because it did not Mm. seem like a good idea to put out a book with Hugo in the title, with all the fuss that there was, with the shenanigans of the puppies. And that's why it's waited until now. The book has been finished since 2014, I've practically forgotten (laughs) it. So, it's not like I did the blog posts back then and I'm doing it as a book now, but there is stuff in the book that was not in the blog posts. There's more stuff about... The history of the field. Uh, because when I was doing the blog post, mm-hmm. I just assumed anybody who's reading Tor.com is going to know what the new wave is, is going to know what cyberpunk is, these kinds of things. But I thought for the book I will put in little bits that explain this stuff and where right. it's coming from and all of that.
0: And there are individual essays on novels, sometimes not the winning novel, but yeah. novel that you liked that year. The, yeah. the, year I, the year that A Case of Conscience won, you wrote an essay on Have Space Suit Will Travel.
2: Well, the truth is, though, that I did an essay on a case of conscience, but mm-hmm. it was in my earlier collection. The, it,
0: what it, makes it was collected so in What Makes
2: This Book, yeah. so I didn't want to repeat. Okay. Uh, and that's why I didn't put it in, um, because I could have. If we'd, if we'd edited What Makes This Book So Great differently, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of essays in that that could have been in this, because there's also essays in that on Barry Yar and and... Um, the game, mm. which it would have actually been really nice to have had in this, but we'd already put them in the earlier.
1: And you were looking thing. to trim length, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. We, we really needed to trim length a lot, yeah. and I, even after I took out all the repetition, it was still really long. And we didn't want to lose the lists, yeah, uh, so that it can actually be useful to somebody who wants to look that stuff up. Yeah, and I actually get ever since I wrote them others. I get email from young editors and young lecturers at universities who've been asked to edit a science fiction line where their own background isn't in that, or to teach a science fiction course Mm -hmm. where Um, their own background isn't in that. Yeah. Uh, Or something like that. And they say, So, Joe, you know about old books. What old books should we be (laughs) looking at? And... I kept thinking, oh, you know, when I did those blog posts, I specifically said I'm not reading everything. I'm not reading things I haven't read just mm-hmm. for this. I'm not reading every book the one that won the Hugo. If I hated something, I, I'm not reading it again and yeah. writing about it. It's not comprehensive. It's just me. Yeah.
0: Well, that's what I like about it. That's what I liked about uh, what makes this book so great. The, the title alone is. <laughs> Either remarkably honest and transparent, or remarkably arrogant.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm i actually thinking about so when I when I edited this together, mm-hmm. I thought of it as being useful to those people, yeah, as well yeah. as being useful to us, uh, I, as, as the, the people who would listen to the Coon Street podcast, yeah. are us in this context, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah.
2: But but then I thought, what I really ought to do is write a book with the amazingly uncontentious title of. How to love science fiction. Yes. <laughs> there would be a history of the genre, and there would still be personal and uh, me
0: burbling about things, but but from my point of view. But the personal part of it is what makes this this what makes it <laughs> right, great. Actually, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, you, you you didn't like Neuromancer, so you don't read Gibson. Mm-hmm. But that's that's yeah. a that's a I happen to like. William Gibson, Sure, but it's very liberating to find, to, to be given permission to not like certain classics Right, but I
2: also said about Neuromancer, I hated I, I really
0: hated <laughs> Neuromancer
2: okay. but I said I hated it, but it absolutely should have won the Hugo, because mm-hmm. it was the book that everybody was talking about, it was transformative it was exciting, everybody loved it except me mm-hmm. um, it, is, it is the correct Hugo winner, even though I don't like it uh, and that's Richards. all I'm going to say about yes. <laughs> <laughs> for the rest oh,
1: of this book. Okay, let me ask you this. When you got to the end of the 47 weeks of writing this, at yeah. that point, what did you feel about the Hugos then, looking back at them?
2: I thought they'd done a pretty good job. And that is what I thought at the beginning as well. Yeah. That they're not perfect. There are things that they miss. Like Greg Egan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Permutation City absolutely should have. There, there are things like that that, oh, yeah. that the Hugos are kind of blind to, or traditionally have been. But nevertheless, when you look at all of those years overall, they're doing a pretty good job of finding the five best, even if the winner isn't. Not mm. always there are good sure. years, but but on the whole. And the other things, the thing that surprised me the most... Mm is discovering that I love novellas. <laughs> and that year after year, when I looked at the novellas, I was thinking, oh, yeah, that, I love that. Yeah. I'm just thinking how many novellas consistently have been where the lifeblood of the genre is at different times, yeah. as the lifeblood is in different places, uh, that novellas have been so, so important to what's going on. And I'd never really recognised that until I looked at it year by year.
1: So you're more persuaded by gardner argument that the novella is the ideal form for science fiction? I,
2: I, I am. Yeah, I am. And we, we talked about this, so we, mm. it's in the comments. I'm sad now. Yeah. The, the last exchange I had with Gardner before he died was when I was doing the proofs of this book. Yeah. Mm. And I emailed him... And uh, he said, oh, can't wait to see it. And he's not going to see it. No.
0: And that's just, it's just really sad. Well, we should mention there's so much of Gardner in and, it. And, and, yeah. and Rich Horton as well. Yeah. It's, it's like a, it's like, and, and again, his astonishing memory Oh field. yeah. And I and he can't have looked all this. I mean I it, no, probably My, didn't look my favorite any of it. short novella of nineteen seventy one and he remembers yeah. it and the
2: yeah. others. And it was just... Yeah. And and his anecdotes about being at the banquet when people were going off in a huff and things like that. I mean mm. I think they make it. <laughs> I, I love those uh, yeah. things in it. I love having them there. I love that they gave me permission to use all that all that right. stuff
0: because it makes the book so much richer. I think one of the things that I uh, also enjoyed about it is there's that there are places, a number of places, where you uh, and Rich and Gardner disagree completely, and it's such a civil disagreement, and there's so much respect for <laughs> for the yeah. other point of view, which is so different from what you see online these days when these discussions come up.
2: Yeah, yeah, but well, disagreeing without being disagreeable, well, yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. also, I think it's when you're starting from a position of respect. Yeah. You know, because how, how can how do you not respect Gardner? You know? Um, but but yeah, very often when you get these arguments where where it's people don't respect each other, people don't honour each other to be in good faith. And we mm-hmm. knew that we were in good faith disagreement.
0: Yeah. And and, and that you both read carefully the books that you were disagreeing about, and really? simply around. I mean, another book that you, another novella, not within the novella category, that you didn't like was uh, Le, one of Le Guin's most popular works, the work for world is forest. Yeah, which I sure didn't like it. It's very heavy-handed in terms of yeah. didacticism, uh, and yet there are people who swear that that's their favorite novella of all time. Uh, it's well, they're right then. Yeah. And that, yeah, yeah, they right. They're, they're, that's that's Not I mean, the
2: point. You can't
1: be wrong about your favorite.
2: Yeah, you, can, you cannot be wrong that it is your favorite. I I find it very strange that that would be anybody's favorite novella or anybody's favorite Le Guin. But people mm. are strange, and people are varied, and people are coming from different places. And I love Le Guin. I I love loads of her work you know, the vast majority of her work I really like, but there are places where it's, it's heavy-handed. Um, mm-hmm. it's, I'm trying to remember who said this about H.G. Wells, that he sold the story for a pot of message. <laughs> and uh, with World is Forest, it's got that pot of message mm-hmm. uh, in place of uh, something that I care about. And she sort of said that herself, that she wrote it in England when political things were going on Mm -hmm. in the US, and she felt out of the loop uh, writing it. Um, And it's in one of the essays in, I think, in... One of, her, I said, one, one of her I can't remember one, no one of her older
0: collections no, language
2: of the night La- I, I, either language of the night or dancing on the edge of the world wow. I don't remember which one I, I really can't remember yeah, which one yeah. it's been a while but, but, she, but she says that about it so I think she saw that there were message problems mm-hmm. with it and it is always a problem when you're writing things that are political and keeping it at the right distance and nobody is perfect nobody does everything right all the time and she did the absolute miracle of The Dispossessed. Right. Uh, and the short story, Coda to The Dispossessed, The Day Before the Revolution, mm. which I think is absolutely wonderful. And she wrote the very didactic but brilliant ones who walk away from all of us. Mm. But in Woodworld is Forest it just
1: came out of balance.
2: It's a thing that, thing that happens. Um, and, and, uh, I didn't like that. And, and, you know, I'm just honest about what I like and what I don't
0: like. I'm not, I'm not pretending. We've talked about this on the podcast any number of times, that you almost have to have permission to not like, quote, unquote, classics. I mean, there are a lot of people I know, uh, including myself, who probably, okay, probably read Dune twice, and I don't think I'm going to read it a third time. Uh, Well,
2: I found when I reread Dune to write about it for the blog mm. series that there were still things in it for me to love, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. But I think that we have a problem. Everybody, people have a problem with canon. That mm-hmm. when something is put into canon, you have to get permission to not like it. You have to right. get permission to um, argue with it. And people will say. I mean, people will sometimes say to me, "Well, you know, you, you write something as good as Dune." Then, well, uh-huh. that's not no, the no. qualification, <laughs> you know. I, I, I had opinions about Dune when I was twelve years old, and I hadn't read anything, you know, like, like that, and I was entitled to as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a dispossessed, but but also, when something becomes canonical, then people get this kind of cringe towards it, mm-hmm. this kind yeah. of kind of fear of it that. If, particularly if they don't like it, but even if they do like it, that they're liking it in the wrong way. This is where I'm with How to Love Science Fiction. The, I found this out when I wrote my Thessaly books, the series The sort of Just mm. City. Yeah. They're about Plato. And I discovered that most people are kind of a bit afraid of Plato. And they kind of tiptoe around Plato. And they know that Plato's good and canonical, but they haven't actually read any Plato. They don't really think about it. And they're a bit afraid and they're a bit sort of like don't want to say the wrong thing and do the right thing. Mm. And so they were having a problem with books, with reading the books, with with wanting to pick up the books because they thought it would be too hard for them. Which they're completely wrong about. It's not too hard for them. Mm. But I think because I was the wide-reading teenager that I wrote about in Among Others, Mm. because that was me, really, and I read everything indiscriminately without any discrimination. And if I didn't get it, I assumed that it was too old for me. And I still do. Mm. If I don't get something, (laughs) that is my assumption. Well, it's too old for me. I'll put it aside, and I'll try to get it in a few years. Maybe I'll get it then. I'm not
0: sure which work it was you were talking about in Among Others. It may have been Thomas Hardy, where the, the character says, yeah. Zelazny would have done this so much better. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: remember yeah. feeling that way and thinking, I'm not supposed to feel this way. Right.
2: And one, of the, one of the really fun things about writing among others was having permission to use that voice and say that, mm-hmm. which which as a reasonable grown-up, you're not supposed to not say. Really, this no. kind of, And you're also not supposed to say, this is the best book in the world ever, ever. <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not supposed to be like that. But because I was writing this 15-year-old point of view... I have permission to be doing that and be doing mm-hmm. that fun thing. Or I say the Winds Twelve Quarters Volume Two is the best single author collection in the universe. But <laughs> I, mean, also, I still think this, you know, this is my considered right. opinion. But, but also
1: I mean, what's the point of reading at all if you can't feel as though something is
2: the best, best thing yeah. you ever, ever had? Yeah. Or, or alternatively, yeah, you course. know, that, that it's the worst. Yeah, yeah it's that, that, across The that and... that Thomas Hardy just goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, um, and, and so he would have done it better. Yeah, and, and so because I wrote that book before I started blogging for tour, mm-hmm. when I started blogging for tour, I thought I want to keep the fun in it. Yeah. I, I, I want to put my... my insights about books. The thing that I quoted in What Makes This Book So Great is Patrick said whenever he gets together with me I say smart things about books nobody else has thought about for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to keep that. I, w- I wanted to write about my my insights and the things that I'd thought about about books that are interesting to read and talk about. But I also wanted to keep my enthusiasm sure. for them. Right. And, and the fact that, that I really... Love the things that I really love.
1: Do you think we're forgetting too much in science fiction?
2: Actually, I think we do better than any other genre yeah. with actually keeping things in print and keeping things alive. Yeah. Even though we're also forgetting too much. Yeah. But, but I think that we actually do really well at not, forgetting it and keeping it. And I meet young people. Um, I did a podcast with you a couple of years ago yeah. with E.J. Fisher.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, he's a, he's young, yeah, but he's read all of these old things yeah. and he can talk about them. And, and there's a lot of people like that because we know what our classics are because we do have canon. Yeah. And people can reach out to it. And I think we've got a problem with... We've got a double problem with it. In the, If you look at academics, they will give you a very different list of what you want to be reading than if you look outside. Yeah. Except for a very few people who really know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll have this very small, narrow list in which women will be represented by Mary Shelley and the Left Hand of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Because women write about girly things. They write about gender. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be the dispossessed where women write about mm-hmm. politics. Yeah. It's always going to be Left Hand of Darkness because we're now we're having gender week. We've got right, exactly. Right. Next week we're about the real books. Yeah, awful. Uh, but if you ask fans, they will recommend that you read The in God's Eye and uh, The Worlds of Nale*. Mm-hmm. That if you are a smart 19-year-old girl and you read those books you're just going to never touch anything written before 1990 ever again. <laughs> um, because because you need to be braced for uh, the the level of sexism and stuff that you've got in older books. And you need to be braced for the fact that A. Van Vogt is just not a very good writer. <laughs> I've seen people recommend E. Doc Smith to newbies in the field.
0: Oh no. Yeah. I, but, I, but, right? No. But I, I, whenever anybody asks me to recommend, I I have to interview them to find out there are people who yes. would love Doc Smith. Indeed. There are people who yes. are, will be caught into... There's something absolutely lunatic about Van Vogt, which is... Uh, there, there was a conference I was at many years ago, the Eaton Conference, where Leslie Fiedler, the great American literary critic, was talking about, um, and all the academic papers had been about uh, Le Guin and Lem and Delaney and the mm-hmm. usual suspects of right. people who are, And the, the point that Fiedler was making is that all these novels stand up to traditional measures of what a good novel is. Yes. If you can't explain Van Vogt, who violates every possible principle of narrative art, and yet is utterly hypnotic to many readers, then mm-hmm. you can't explain science fiction. Right.
2: But I think whatever list you make, whatever canon you make, a lot of things get left out. Mm. But nevertheless, I was talking to a, I think, fourteen-year-old the other day Mm -hmm. about the stars. My destination. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we 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 keep them around. Yeah a lot better than, than a lot of things. If you look at bestseller lists, these are on Wikipedia, you can look at bestseller lists mm. for any year. And if you look at ones for 100 years ago, practically none of those books are even in memory of having existed. Yeah. Practically none of the writers. Right. Whereas the SF that was being published 100 years ago, we know what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's true. Even if we're not reading it, actively all the time mm. we're really aware of it you can get into I, I i did this the other day in rome actually i was having dinner with uh, ada and there was a, a colleague who was a history professor and he asked what i did and i said mm. and he said so what would you say is the first sf novel sort of like like looking at me in this kind of way i'm, I'm gonna get you <laughs> kind of thing um and I said, well, well uh, Voltaire's Micromegast, because I don't actually think that Lucina Somersata's True Histories or uh Sir Andrew Bajarak are really science fiction in the sense that we use the word, but Micromegast really is. And he just sat back, you know, <laughs> like, okay, you, you do know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think that's all that unusual. I think, you know... People would, people would have opinions about what the first science fiction novel is. You can yeah. argue it yeah. with, with a whole bunch of different. Sure, sure. Charlie Crowley
0: was arguing for a chemical wedding, which is a yeah. Uh, but you know, from yeah. the point of view, there's a scientific process which is depicted in yeah. the novel, even though it's medieval, you know, theosity, Yeah, so. and yeah,
2: you know, um, Frankenstein or, or or whatever. You mm-hmm. can you can pick any number of places to make the argument that you want to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but we're pretty familiar with what you might pick. Yeah, you—you like you could say that Kepler's Somnium was the first science fiction novel. It's not, mm-hmm. but you could
0: say it's not, novel, not it no, exactly, no, it, it's, it's a No, exactly.
2: No, it's—it's barely short story. Right. I, I think by well, it's probably a novelette. Yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah, it's it's yeah. But you—but you could so some uh, sort of Somersato, fabled true history, which I have read. Mm-hmm. It's using the sun and the moon. As islands that have people on who are at war with each right. other, and so is Serrano. Um But but Microcosmos is genuinely a science
0: fictional first contact story. It's true, but my I think the point we were getting at was that you don't you no longer feel like you have to know that to be a science fiction reader. People some people establish their own canons. Yeah, uh, there are books that. Uh, there are books that have never been canonized that are not science fiction. That everybody see a, a book that I worked on in my dissertation was a voyage to Arcturus by David Lindsay. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed how many writers had read that book and been influenced by it and thought they were the only ones who'd ever read it. So it's never been part of the general canon of fantasy or science fiction, and yet it's influenced everybody from C.S. Lewis down to Bob Silverberg. Uh, yeah, and I, I, that, that's what I think is fascinating because. Another writer who you liked a lot in, in, in this uh, book was Zelazny, and Zelazny seems to go in and out of fashion. There was a period of time when his prose was too coruscating and too fireworks like, and it just seemed uncool. And now uh, people are beginning to look at Zelazny again and thinking, stylistically, he was doing things that other people like Le Guin and Dick weren't doing back in the sixties mm-hmm. and seventies.
2: Yeah, no, I, th- I, I think I think that's right. Uh, but I think this last I think the me emerged like a comet mm-hmm. or like a nova in the field, and everybody was very, very excited. but I mean he got over praised right. right away, right out of the gate mm-hmm. uh, and he suffered from that later. And there was a reaction to that level of overpraise. That could be. And then there was a reaction, and now we are having a more reasonable view that Mm it was really pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think... What kind of a
1: role... I mean, it's a little bit left to what we're just talking about, but what sort of role do you think now the Hugo's filled for us in helping us remember and be aware of stuff? And do you think whether they... Actually, recognise real excellence or not is the is key, or is it that they recognise the passion of the voters for something?
2: Well, I mean, they are measuring what people like. Yeah. That's what fans like. That's the yeah. only thing they're really measuring. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they certainly affect sales of a book. Yeah. Uh, I, I could you know, show you a graph on that. Uh-huh. Um, you sell a lot of books if you win a best novel, Hugo. Yeah. Um, my Christmas sales on, among others, the Christmas after it won the Hugo is the biggest spike I've ever seen in hmm. sales figures. Yeah. It genuinely, you know, this is this is actual data. Yeah. Uh, it genuinely, people buy the Hugo winning novels even if they don't buy the nominees. And this is normal people, not people who go to conventions, <laughs> not people who vote. Yeah. Um... I think that they give us a point to argue about, and that's what we want to do. Yeah, yeah. we want to argue about it. We want to say, "Well, no, what about this book? Yeah. Why, mm-hmm. why is that book?" Uh, and we enjoy doing that. Mm-hmm. And they give us a focus for focusing what we're doing. Yeah. So even in the case where Permutation City absolutely should have had a nomination and it didn't, yeah. We can argue that and we can look at it in those terms of it should have been there yeah, yeah. when we're when we're talking about it.
1: Did your sure view of the Hugos change?
2: Not really. Yeah. Not not all that much. I don't think so. Um I would have liked to have had a more conclusive argument at the end that it say that it did change, or to say yes, it's really doing a great job or no. Nope, not doing it.
0: I think you ended up saying sixty nine percent. Sixty nine percent. Yeah, that's a really
2: wishy washy <laughs> sort of uh, thing by my own count. Uh, but no, I, I have always thought they're doing a pretty good job, and hmm. now I feel like yeah, I've got the data, and they're doing a pretty good job.
1: Have you seen anything around the Hugo's since you finished the book that you wish you could have included in it that you should could have referred to? I mean, what I'm thinking, I guess, is I look at. To me, one of the real imp- things that's important about the Hugos is they have a cultural importance in our field. Yeah, And they, there was a lot of controversy around the Hugos, yes. in fact, after you finished the book, pretty yes. much. Yeah. Uh, okay. And the field acted and reacted. And it seemed to me ultimately in a very positive way to those yes. circumstances, and that seemed to me to reaffirm the value, the uh, affection, the love that, pe- that the field mm-hmm. feels for it, and the value it place on it. And that seems to me a valuable code of thought to having yeah. looked at nearly half a century worth of Hugos.
2: Yeah. Were, were you in Spokane? I can't remember.
1: No, I didn't make like Spokane. Right.
2: Because in the Hugo ceremony in Spokane, mm. when they were announcing the Hugos, the first one they announced as no award, mm-hmm. I actually got two in my eyes. Mm-hmm. Because I felt, yeah, we... We defended them.
1: Yeah,
2: you know we care. Yeah, we defended them. Right. We didn't let them get taken over. I actually yeah. teared up yeah. with with that emotion because I care about them so much. Partly because I have written the book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah,
2: and I, I put all of this thought into yeah, the Hugo's, yeah. and I really, really, really cared. But I thought about writing a a, a new introduction where I would talk about the the puppies and the the stuff but I I just didn't want to. Yeah. And I I agree. I think that the the rebound on that is very positive. I think we are seeing not only great nominees and more diverse nominees in a really good way. Uh now and uh some wonderful things. But, 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 it yeah. is exciting. Yeah. Uh, and I I am excited. I, I was very excited when Three-Body Problem won yeah. first ever winner in translation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Um, and, and, you the, know...
0: The year after that, I think, was the year in which there was not a single Anglo-American white male on the best novel ballot yeah. for the first time in history. Yeah. But by ending your book and by ending your, your blog post in 2000, you're looking at a period of the Hugos when the overwhelming... Number of voters would have been white middle class people, mm-hmm. probably mostly males. Yeah. So the diversification yeah. of it, the voting it, it, block came out well, afterwards. And, and
2: I think, I think in a way, it might be interesting for somebody to write a history of the Hugos in thirty years' time, mm-hmm. where they start where I stopped, yeah. yeah, and look at how it changed after that point, and the things that we're looking at in the eighteen years. 17 years right. of nominations since then and, and going on and how it's changed and I, I think that'll be an interesting thing to do but you can't really write a history of something when you're in the middle of it because no. you can't see it and it's harder to see trends and I found that when I was running the book it was much easier to, to do the earlier parts sure. of it than the later mm-hmm. parts because
1: you know where it's going I mean to me there's the one thing you can say about now if my memory serves me on these things correctly that we've seen a, a great in, you know uptake in participation in the Hugo Award.
2: Right. And partly that's because everybody's been saying you can do it. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: it's not a huge cost, it's not exclusive. Yeah. Everybody can do this and yeah. we can we can do it and people people are and far more people are nominating, which yes. is even more important mm-hmm. than voting. Yes. In my opinion is having the, the breadth of nominations
1: there. Because really, in a sense, what I pick up when I think about the Hugos, when I look at you know the, the, your blog post and anything else about it, is that, in some ways, it's not the winner that counts, it's the ballot yeah. that counts.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That, that shows you what was happening. Uh, I mean, to me, like when I look back at the Locus Awards, which for various reasons I've had to look at mm-hmm. uh, at various times, I find them fascinating. Because unlike even the Hugos, which generally cut out the top five nominees, when you have... Thirty yeah. finalists. What you see is you see writers and ideas ebb and flow through time, mm-hmm. and how their yes. reputations grow and evolve, yeah. and mm-hmm. how, how the actual uh, you know, the actual amount of time it takes for cyberpunk to be taken up as an idea.
2: And there are people who, when they emerged, were very exciting, and were getting award nominations. Mm-hmm. And then they keep on writing and they're still writing good things, but nobody's thinking about them in those terms and putting them mm-hmm. on the ballot anymore. We've talked about Cherry before. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, who would be a really, really good example, but who's going to nominate volume 17 of the TV books, even though it's brilliant? Yes. I mean, I, I did. But, mm-hmm. yeah. but um, I wish they, if we're going to have a best series uh, category, those should be on it. Yeah. Um, I, I really wish I would feel much more comfortable about the best series category if Cherry was visible. On yeah, it. yeah. But, but also, people like Dan Simmons and John Varley, who were exciting novelists and who are still writing, mm. but we're not seeing them on that ebb and flow that you're talking about.
1: Well, there's been all there. I mean, because, in effect, this, actually, not to bring it too much into this, but this actually touches on a conversation I've been having all weekend mm-hmm. about the Sifu brand Grandmaster and who might get it next. Right. And I had someone who said, well, because they hadn't realized C.J. Cherry was a recipient in the last yeah. two years. Yeah. They said, well, why would she get it? And you're kind of going, I, I mean, I know how to answer that question, and substantively, but I'm kind of surprised you're asking it. Yeah. And when you mention virally, it feels like the entire attention of the field has got turned away from, it, even though he's just a very strong book out. Um, and the same for I mean Simmons. I mean Simmons yeah, lives yeah. are written elsewhere well Simmons mm.
2: moved away from the field yes, like, yes, yes, of... yes he did but I, I'm just I'm just saying these are sort of examples that immediately sure. come to mind or mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like um, Austin Scott Cod would be another example still writing still selling mm-hmm. but if you would said to me in 1985 mm-hmm. that That's there right. would be this many Austin Scott Cod books on the shelf that I haven't read Mm-hmm. And I would walk past our shelf with no interest in picking them up. Yeah. I would not have believed you. I'd have fought you.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, because you know, *Enders Game* and *Speaker of the Dead* And his earlier books. I had loved *To Pieces*. Yeah. Uh, and and the genre had loved *To Pieces*. Absolutely. You know, we we embraced them mm-hmm. all of us. Yes. Very much the way that that I did. Yeah. Uh, and now. Though he is vastly outselling, I would bet that Orson Scott Collins' most recent Ender book has outsold everything on this year's novel ballot put together.
1: I'll go further. I'm fairly sure that Ender's Game is the best-selling no, science fiction yeah. book of the last 50 years. No, or no,
2: it, 40 years. It's, a, it's a really best-selling book. But his most recent Ooh. one will have outsold everything on the ballot, but we don't even consider putting it on the ballot. It's not even on the long list. Mm. It's not even in the locus best... Books, no, where there's 30 books, it's not anywhere in in our consciousness that we would give an award to that book and think that it is a good book.
0: But apart anymore. from the, uh, apart, yeah, it is anathema. Uh, well, as I, I would say, apart from the issue with Cart's attitudes and yeah. homophobia and that sort of thing, isn't there a sense that that was part of the discussion then? The discussion has moved on. And he's still writing the discussion back then. In other words, he's still having a conversation that the rest of us have stopped having, and he's very successful at it. The Scott Card readership consists largely of people who, I would gather, are not at this convention.
2: Yeah, I I think that's true. I I think that is the case. Um, The problem with with this is it's difficult to think of people as examples Mm -hmm. who are not controversial in some way or it would be hurtful to them if they heard me say it those. I don't want either one of those I don't one of those things mm. you know
1: and I can think of I'm not going to name them here uh, half a dozen names lovely people right. terrific writers but for whatever reason their current profile isn't okay. one that puts in that mm. discussion
2: I've, Sort of one, and I don't think this is hurtful. R.A. McAvoy's first novel was a Hugo nominee. I'm really happy you mentioned her. Yeah, um, and she gets no attention now.
0: And she recently did a sequel to that first novel, didn't she?
2: Did she? I think she did. Oh. She she it in a lot of.
0: She did of years
1: ago. But I mean, yeah. It was Tea with the Black. I Dragon. think there's a window with her where if you get after the Tea with the Black Dragon and after the Book of Kells, I like the Book of Kells, and around there, mm. if you'd said. I think Bodie McAvoy could get a World Fantasy Lifetime Achievement Award right. in 20 years. Yes. 30 years. People have said, yes, I absolutely think that's true. Mm-hmm. And now they would look at you and go, who is R.A. McAvoy? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's partly because she went away from the world. Right? She yeah. did that, that trilogy, The Lens of the World trilogy for Morrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I They're think. Very really weird. Then yeah. she stopped.
2: Right. But I mean, sometimes, sometimes people just stop writing. Yeah. But sometimes people are still writing and still putting books out and they're solid books. And, and, I mean, there are people whose entire career, they've never got an award nomination or anything like it. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the people, like you said, mm-hmm, with Emma yeah. Flow. the people who at one point were visible to a- award nominators, and
1: now yeah. are not. I mean, I've certainly had conversations where I've said this weekend, these people, one, two, three, four, five... Mm-hmm. If in 1990 you had said to me, "Would they get a, life, a, a, a yeah. grand grandmastership yeah. or a life achievement?" Yeah. I would have said to you, "I will mortgage my house on it." Right. It is so. Pla- I mean, Card yeah. is a great example. Card is a very good example. Uh, yeah. You would it, before 19, 1990 would have been inconceivable he wouldn't have. Right. David mm-hmm. Brin, it would have been inconceivable he might not. Uh, now the world has moved on, and his his work is elsewhere, and attention. I mean. Okay, I don't well, don't know why they would think that's right. But Verna Vingy, There there's a time when I thought Vinci mm. would have been a shoe for a brand mastership. He writes very slowly. He does, and, and it's
2: perfectly possible that he could write another real mm. Humdinger novel.
1: But that's it. You've got to come back, right? You've yeah. got to come back with a... because yeah, one of the reasons that say Jim Wolfe gets recognised is because he he never stopped, right? And he became even in fact a, a, there was an uptick in prominence later in his. Mm. Writing career, which made it even more likely for him to recognize. recognized. Whereas it's not an unusual thing in life for
0: people to slow down but as on the they the other age. hand, you have writers like Ian Banks, who never was really seriously on the radar. Well, no, was no, that, that, good, that of was the curse of being British. Right? Well, it probably is a British thing, you're right? Because yeah, uh,
2: but I but mean, it, he won a lot of BSFA awards, right. and, uh, 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 and yeah, he was. No, never but, but, he was, in the he, but he was States. But he wasn't simultaneously published in the US, right? And we didn't have the rule then that if something gets U.S. publication, yeah, right. it can still be eligible then, be eligible again. right? Uh, but yeah, you, you're right. And, and I think that a number of his books, some of which I like and some of which I don't like, mm. but a number of his books really, 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 really should have had recognition. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean use, use of Weapons and Against a Dark Background, mm. unquestionably. I, mean, I guess this, yeah. this
1: is the sort of you know, the blind spot of the, of the Hugo voting community. You know, you don't necessarily bring in Ian Banks in any quantity. You don't bring in Paul McCauley or Stephen Baxter or even Alistair Reynolds or whoever else uh, because they're not in that frame for some reason. You know, whether it is just being published in the UK mm. or whatever. You know, I mean, any one
0: of those you'd thought, you'd have, I would have thought would have won a raft of Hugos. Or has been nominated, mm. and yet Paul McCauley is not even highly visible. Again, in the states, I don't think he's ever been nominated for fiction. Mm.
2: I don't think so. Mm. Not, not that I can think of. Has Gwyneth Jones been nominated for anything? No, not
1: even close. I don't. Think.
2: I think she was nominated for World Fantasy Award. Yeah, uh, no, no,
0: she
1: okay. She even won a World Fantasy Award. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One, yeah. One for yeah. a short story right. Yeah,
2: that's right. right. Yeah, I, I, I thought so. That's that's what I was. That's what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and and uh, sort of. It it, it is a curious thing what people will consider suitable for for awards. I mean, I'm always surprised what people think should win. And what I see now is there's a desire to make those choices appropriate. And what I hope continues to happen is that people are voting from genuine passion Mm -hmm. rather than anything else.
2: I think so. I mean, people say this is the puppy's argument, that people were voting for things for reasons other than they like the book. But I see no evidence whatsoever that anybody does them. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would agree.
1: I, I've seen people vote for books that I look at and go, I'm unable to see what you see in it.
2: Yeah, me too. Which is fine. But but they clearly genuinely like them. They're not oh, yeah. really pretending to like them. <laughs> people were not pretending to like Neuromancer. Okay, they really no. like Neuromancer. No, 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 Even they were if Oh, uh, no, no,
1: can I even ask this? I'll ask this, and I'll cut it out if it doesn't, if it's not right. <laughs> uh, what shouldn't have won? Well, a uh, Mancer, obviously. No, no no, it no, no,
2: I disagree. No, I think Nero should have won. I do too. Um, uh, the the um. Rather Be Right or whatever it's Oh, is the short. Mark Clifton... Uh, yeah, that thing. Th- th- yeah, yeah. Be right. yeah. Uh, Which I haven't read, but yeah. which everybody says is, is terrible. Um, uh, the Gods Themselves. That would be okay. my top thing for Thing That Should Not Have Won a Hugo. No, um, oh, it's a dreadful book. It, yeah, it's a, yeah, It's got a not-bad sort of novelette bit in the middle <laughs> with the aliens. That's, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it, it is as if he read the William Tern story about amoeba porn. Yeah. I can do that. I can't write amoeba anymore. Indeed. Yeah. But, but The Ghost of Souls is a bad, bad book. Uh, and um, Findings of Paradise. What the Clock. It, it, yeah, right.
1: All but the wares of Pern.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, I guess it's
1: the thing, sometimes it's sentiment, and that's, I guess, okay too.
2: And I think we see that in the 80s, and this is a thing that that I've got in the book. In the 80s, we see a lot of older, beloved science fiction writers who hadn't been writing for a while Mm. come back and write books. So there was Heinlein, uh, there was um, Asimov, and there was Clarke. Uh, and they sort of put books out. And they got nominations and wins out of sentiment and love for their earlier work. And because in some of those cases, Asimov in particular, the earlier work hadn't been eligible for Hugo's because they yeah. didn't have Hugo's until 1953.
1: Or because the new young audience, and I can identify with this myself, didn't have the chance to vote for that thing they'd loved. Right. And now I can vote for you.
2: Exactly, yeah. Uh, and... So we saw some of that at that point, and then somebody traded me for this in a in a review. But when we have then in a few years after that, people producing books like um, Three Thousand and One, for instance, mm-hmm. not nominated, not looked at, no. because we're not stupid. (laughs) there's only so much of that we'll do. And and so I called out some of those things. I said, look, here are some of these things. And we weren't doing it. Go voters of whatever it was. Uh, And I think that is worth noting that we don't just do that out of sentiment even when we do it. There's a temptation when people die to give them a... Consolation prize Hugo or whatever. <laughs> At which point it's um, no
1: good because they're dead. But yeah, yeah
2: exactly. Yeah, who, who's this supposed to console? Um, so you know that that is a thing that that happens. But I think people people like what they like, and sometimes even with a terrible book like the gods themselves, the people who voted for it liked Asimov, liked it. Yeah. Um, maybe they didn't have time to read everything and they thought he's usually good. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it, It's difficult to guess what was yeah. going through their minds. But there's not very much, yes. even things that are nominated, yes. there's not very much that I really feel shouldn't be on that ballot. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there are times when I say look, here's this great book why, why, why uh, isn't the Book of the New Sun nominated? Why? Sure. Yeah. You know what? What on earth were they thinking yeah. that uh, they nominated Claude the Conciliator, but they didn't nominate? Yeah, right. But anyway, uh, but you think why isn't it on there? Yeah. But if you pushed me and said, "Well, okay, instead of which book, which sure. book shouldn't be?" And on sometimes you sit
1: there and go, Come
2: on. Right. Sometimes you can. Uh, and sometimes you think, no, I, I want it as well yes. because these are all good choices. Yes. Or even if they're not, even if they're not to my taste, that doesn't mean that they're not good choices. Is yes, that you can't
1: understand the choice,
2: right? Or there'll be something. I mean, this this happened when I mentioned uh, I hadn't read Michael Bishop's brittle innings. I said it was never published in the UK where I was living at the time. Sure, and um, it's about baseball, so I've yes. never read it. And a hundred people started trying to tell me how great it was and how much I'd like it, and it was really, really obvious that they passionately loved this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so even though I still haven't read it because it's about baseball, come on,
1: it's a Frankenstein friggin- novel.
2: Yeah, it's a baseball Frankenstein. I, I don't care. care. <laughs> and it, you know, not, and also I've read. Uh, I had read something else by Michael Bishop that was really, really good, but too much on the horror line for me to like. I, I hope he gets some kind of Grand shit or something. Yeah. You know, he's, he's an excellent, excellent writer. Yeah. yeah. But I haven't read it, and I'm not going to read it. But I thoroughly believe that it should be on the Hugo Ballad, yeah. just because of the passion of its sure. defenders. Yeah. When I said something that they could readers being mean to it <laughs> but if people love it that much it's probably a really good book even if I, I, I don't do like it and it. I don't read it
1: I do love it just like I love there Glimpses are. by Lewis Shiner which came out around the same time mm-hmm. and I think it was up for the World Fantasy Award around the same time
2: and I, I think there's a thing where the books that we read when we first start reading we're reading the new books and we're also reading the older books that exist but obviously, we're not reading the books that haven't been written yet, no. because that's not possible. Yeah, yeah. And so we have a different relationship with those books, yeah. where the older books and the current books at the time when we start reading are one thing. And then the books that come afterwards, that we read afterwards, are slot in and they come in their place so we can see them in their yeah. proper year as they advance. And they're not all part of this whirlwind of mm. reading the whole genre that we do as teenagers. So many of us, and even now, you know, right now there are teenagers who are... Falling in love. Yeah, yeah. And, and some of them with contemporary books and some of them with other books.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely true.
2: And it, it's just the case that, that there are people still doing it exactly the way that I did it and you did it. Sure. And And coming along and and doing that, people say it's not, and nobody's reading, and they're just wrong. They just know the wrong people well, because I well, see
1: it. I, I think I mean, everything you look at in terms of fact rather than opinion strongly suggests the idea that print is dead is foolish nonsense, that people aren't reading is foolish nonsense, and it's just that they're not doing it the way they did before. It's not as obvious, know, there isn't a a Barnes and Noble bookstore at the end of every street. Now right. it's different. Yeah, but yeah, still, yeah, but yeah it's still just, reading, yeah, you know, or yeah. listening, or something. Or they audio booking it or whatever else it would be. Yeah. Um, in the last couple of years, the Hugo's have added new categories. Have added this uh, best series award they're doing. They've added a YA award. Which award do you think is missing? what would you add in terms of recognition (laughs) if we we could
2: I think we should reorganise a bunch of the awards that we've got I think that having best prosine and best editor short form is giving some people two bites of the same cherry and eliminating other people I think it would be much better if we had best magazine and didn't specify that in that way if we're going to keep best editor short form um, I know this is your award. No, but, that we, but we, we've got best semi prosine, the best magazine. Yeah, se- semi prosine, I mean. Yeah, I look, don't think we. I, but they're
1: they the same people, though. The semi prosine editors generally aren't the short form editors.
2: Mm, sometimes they are. Yeah, Sheila, I mean, uh, Sheila Williams. Yeah, no, no. There are short form yeah. editors who are not yeah. editing semi prosines, but the uncanny editors are on both lots this year, they on Strange are. Horizons, and Strange Horizons. Some people are getting two bites on that, which seems to me wrong. Yeah when it would be better to compare semi prosines to uh and uh, they're not really very different, and, and do that. I hate the way the best series is arranged. The specific details of the way they've done that award, I think, are irritating. And what I wanted was a, a Hugo for best completed series. Okay which would encourage people to finish series. (laughs)
0: Uh,
2: And I looked at it, and there are enough completed series every year that we could have a really pretty good ballot every year. But I, I hate the way they've done it, and it's not really making any sense to me, the way they've done that. And I'm not sure I like the YA Award either, because for the same reason I don't like the Graphic Novel Award. We already have awards for those things that are given by their readers. Yeah. And when we put them on the Hugo ballot, we are not the best nominators and readers for YA and graphic novels because we don't read them as widely as we read our own stuff.
1: So you'd rather see, for example, a overlap well a YA science fiction novel recognized in best novel and just leave it at that. Yeah. yeah.
2: Because what's actually gonna happen and you can actually see this, you can you can see this just by looking at the locus awards. If there is a YA novel that is brilliant, we'll give it a Hugo. But it'll win the Locus Best YA, and it will not win the Locust Best Novel. That's and true. you can see that it's really plain. Um, and so what that means is that our really good YA novels will not get the recognition that they otherwise would. And that's why I'm against having a Best First Novel Hugo because it means the brilliant first novels wouldn't get Hugo nominations. Yes, because you could you know you
1: could say I'm trying to sort of spread the love, and a wind up girl suddenly becomes yeah. not the best novel of the year.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Or if you look at last year when we had um, Two Like the Lightning and um, uh, I can only remember the the the, the uh, Yoon Ha Lee. Oh, you uh, last Red and Shredichum. No, Red and was the second one. I I, I just didn't. Another exactly you the mean. same thing? But anyway, everybody up. else listening is going. Right? Yes, yes, oh, yeah. quite. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I'm terrible remembering names of books. Um, but yeah, but those we had two first novels on the ballot. and we wouldn't have. No. And they deserve to be. Yes. Because they're great. Yeah, I no, I agree. So 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 I would be against the. It might be nice to see uh, an award for poetry, because science fiction poetry or genre poetry, speculative poetry, is having a golden age right now. There are people writing wonderful, wonderful stuff every year, uh, and the Hugos could look in that direction yeah. um, very profitably yeah. and people would see some really really great things. There's so many great people uh, working in that yeah. area. Uh, it's, it's very very exciting and it's all this century yeah. it's all emerged this this century as being a really vibrant genre yeah. where, where and when I say it's having a golden age I mean technically it is having a golden age in the People are writing things and being excited about things that other people have written and showing them to each other and yeah. sort of, th- emergence of a, a group yeah. uh, thing that, that is what a golden age is. So that's, that's really nifty and I'd, I'd, I'd like to see uh, a Hugo there, but it's not, it's not important, but it would be nice. Uh, or maybe the World Fantasy Award could recognise it. Maybe that would mm. be easier. Because we've already got tons of Hugo Awards, and it dilutes it when it goes on and on. I think so. Uh, It dilutes it. And I like that we have fan categories, but sometimes I think we've made categories without thinking too much about it. We made the best fan cast specifically to stop uh, fan cast winning Best Fanzine, without really thinking about whether we really want that category. And I think it's a pretty good category. Uh, but but we didn't discuss it very much. No, um, it was also and, this
1: preemptive thing to defend the fans. That's
2: right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think I think we I don't think we need more. I think in some ways it would be better if we just rationalised what we what we had before thinking about that. It's very easy to propose having a new one. It's very hard to propose taking one away. Do you think
1: that Hugo should have a Hall of Fame or a Life Achievement kind of thing? Because there's no popular vote one, I don't think. I don't think there is. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, and CIFWA have such weird ones. Um, because, I mean, the Grandmaster Award is all well and good, but that author emeritus thing, if somebody gave me that, I'd <laughs> Oh, come on. It's, it's oh.
1: <laughs> we forgot you but we don't want to.
2: That's right. It's an insult. It's <laughs> a sort of, oh dear me, I, I, I'm not awful. I, I,
1: I Oh I mean it's dreadfully well intentioned, but I understand yeah, exactly what you exactly. saying. Exactly. Yeah.
2: No, no, no it, entirely well-intentioned. I, I don't mean that it isn't, but but, but it, it, it's it's just a smack in the face. I mean,
1: <clears throat> for myself I think what I'd like to see is a hall of fame. And not right. a life achievement. And the reason that I say that and I know there's the science fiction hall of fame up in yes, Seattle that we don't we don't pay attention yeah, to. Yeah, but both when you look historically at the the grandmaster and the life achievement, they have idiosyncrasies because of timing and whatever else, right. and wanting to recognise people who are still alive, which is completely mm. valid. Yeah. But then that also means that your historical memory of the greats has unnecessary blank spots. Yes, you know, like yes, Paul, Paul Anderson. Is not a world fancy life achievement recipient. He died too young. He died at the wrong point. And uh, maybe you would or wouldn't have given
2: him one, but he's not. There are all kinds of people. Did you know? Um, Three Hunts and the Three Lions is imprinted as an ebook, and it's like one ninety nine. And I read it again. And I haven't read it for years, and it is just so delightful. And, and the Broken Sword. Is oh like no, it's not it's not. the Broken Sword is a classic. I, I adore the Broken Sword. The thing sword. Is, on, on the way things are done
1: now. Paul Anderson, who's never going to have any more any new work in print, no, can never be a grandma's yeah. you know get a life achievement or whatever.
2: So if we did a hall of fame, we could put dead people into it also.
1: That would be the point, but it would be like here is our ancestral memory of wonder, rather than we're recognizing you while you're alive. I mean, I love recognizing you while you're alive, and maybe it would happen. While so you're alive. only well, you only could actually people. do it, yeah. Maybe even, yeah, because. I mean, you ask, what's what's the value of giving someone a consolation Hugo when they die? Mm-hmm. And as, when you said, what actually occurred to me is, actually, the consolation isn't for the person who died; it's
2: for the the survivors. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And maybe the value of the Hall of Fame it would would be here. Actually, is us presenting all of that that group of people, that alumni of importance, that we overlook.
2: But if we did that and we were going to and I noticed actually nobody does this if we were going to nominate them and vote on them we would be saying some dead people are more beloved than other dead people
1: <sighs> and, but, but yeah, we, don't want, we right, don't want to
2: no we don't want to say that I think that would be a very uncomfortable kind of thing to say and I noticed that Sifwa announced their Grandmasters and so did the World Fantasy Awards they do not have a nomination slate. No, they just tell you who they're going to be. Yeah, and so I think that's the reason why we don't have a popular vote one, and why we don't have a Hugo.
1: It would be too hurtful.
2: It would be. Yeah. Wouldn't that's what it I would say. be? Wouldn't it be hurtful? Oh, absolutely. And it's bad enough being nominated for an award and not winning it when you could be nominated for it again next year and maybe win. <laughs> But being nominated for a Lifetime Achievement and, and, not that winning, one, it, and that would suck.
1: Oh, no, they actually think you would suck the most if they published the statistics for the votes.
2: Right, right
1: yeah. Like, oh, no, i would yeah. like, oh, be horrible. Yeah, that
2: would just be so horrible because, because it would be a vote for you yeah. rather than for your, your work. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, and the the first person that went home and killed themselves, we would so <laughs> No, 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 but... I, I don't think that's a good plan. Yeah. Uh, but if there was a... I mean, if you do it the other way, if you do it where you just announce what it is and you're not voting, or you could have blind nominations. I mean, you could have nominations yeah. but not announce them. Yeah. And do it, maybe. Uh, but if you, if you just said, okay, this year we're going to put Ursula Le Guin and Robert Heinlein in our Hall of Fame and next year we're going to put Octavia Butler and Isaac Asimov in our Hall of Fame yeah. and do it like that. Then somebody is just decreeing this yeah, and we're going to be doing the canon and yeah. you know who it's going to be and then everybody is going to be arguing about edge cases. Yeah, well, someone was
1: arguing with me yesterday that the, the, the preferred approach when it comes to both the Cypher Grand Mastership the Life Achievement, whatever else is, let's just not do that.
2: other hand, having a recognition thing like that can be very nice.
1: Yes, it's lovely.
2: Uh, And it can draw attention to older writers who might not have been getting enough attention, like Cherry. Yeah. But on the other hand, when Connie Willis won it. I mean, she's still writing, she's still mm. producing. Uh, it, I mean, so is Cherry still writing, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the uh, answer is there. Like, um, I,
1: I, I guess the, the truth of it is that one of the things that's great about the Hugos and the other Corollary Awards is that you can have the discussion about it? Yes. That it isn't over. That you'll be back. You know, back having yes. the same conversation, yes. continuing on yeah. years to come.
2: Yeah. And when I when I think about what I what I said about somebody writing a sequel to uh, *Informal History of the Hugo's* in thirty years' time. Yeah. Uh, that's a lovely idea. I like that, and I like the idea that in thirty years' time, there'll still be a Worldcon, there'll still be Hugo's, there'll still yeah. be people bickering about which books are the best, and not just which books are oh, the best of their year, but they'll still be arguing about whether Dune or this immortal <laughs> should have won in 1973. Yeah, right. They're still going to be... They're still going to think, is it a fire Pot the Deep or Doomsday book? Um... Uh, and, you know, Robert Selfberg was robbed with dying in
1: <laughs> Well, he was.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But but the idea of that continuity, the time bonding yes. of that yeah. continuity is lovely. I, I really like <laughs> that. <And> it's really <laughs> validating. You know?
1: Well, we're nearly at the end of the hour, so probably the, the, the worst question I could now ask you in some ways to close up that's entirely in keeping with this is, here we are. We're in San Jose, California, for the, this year's the twenty eighteen World Science Fiction Convention. We're all going to go sit in the big hall room on Sunday night. Who are you hoping takes home the big one, the, the best novel?
2: Oh, that is a difficult question. But uh, actually, uh, uh, the book that I liked the best, that the, the Joe Walton personally liked yeah, yeah, the best, definitely... on this year's Hugo uh, ballot. Um was uh New York twenty one forty. Um and and that's great because I didn't like Aurora. Okay. I think we talked about yeah, that. Yeah we did, yes we did. Um I did not like Aurora. But I loved New York 2140, yeah. I, I felt that that was... And Aurora was an important book that I didn't like. New York 2140 is an important book that I do like, and yes. I'm happy to uh, like. And yeah. that, was, that was number one on my ballots. And I was also very, very excited by some of the short fiction. Yeah. So, some of the short fiction blew me away this year, yeah. and unexpectedly. Yeah. So there were things that I had read and that I had nominated and that were on the short fiction ballots, and that I was very excited to see on the ballot. Yes. Yeah. And then I was actually surprised and impressed and pleased with uh, some other things yes. that I'd not
1: yeah. run across,
2: uh, and that kind of knocked me over. Uh, so that was great. It's a great, great, exciting short fiction ballot yeah, this year.
1: Um, I mean, yeah. I, I also, I mean, I agree with you about New York twenty-one forty. I share mm-hmm. your love of it and passion yeah. for it, and it's in no way a negative statement about it. the rest. No, of what is a very strong no, ballot. It's a great ballot.
2: Yeah. And, and, Everything's so different. Mm. And last year, too. Last Mm. year was a wonderful ballot with this huge range of great stuff. Yeah, Um, And to like the lightning, one of my favourite books ever on last year's uh, ballot. Yes. Um, So we are at a time where there are a lot of exciting things being written and a lot of exciting new writers coming along because Ada Palmer won the Campbell last year, you know. Uh, and and this year's Campbell nominees are terrific. They are
1: wonderful. They
2: are just so great. Um yes. and you know you you look at that and that that makes mm. you happy.
1: Well, it does. I mean, I mean, you, you talked about it in the book actually about the accuracy, usefulness, whatever, also of the Campbell Award. And it's, you know, sometimes you, you know, you get the, the benefit of enormous hindsight and go, well, gosh, you missed recognizing, yes. you know, enormous person in the field and you recognize, you n- n- got somebody who you never would have. Yeah. But that's okay. Yes. Because they actually did have them in the discussion. Exactly. And this group, whether it's Vinajin May Prasad or Rebecca Rollinghorse yeah. or Sarah Kuhn or yeah. whoever else, um, are a really, really strong and Diverse, them. by this I mean in terms of the, just what they choose to write about. Yeah, no, really. Yeah,
2: yeah of, absolutely. People. Yeah, and, and we were five really strong people. It was hard mm. voting. You know, it was it was difficult choice yes. um, with the with the Campbells. And, and and that's how it ought to be. Yeah, it it should be. You know, <laughs> it it should be. You think like, hate that? Um, oh, that happens sometimes. Um, but we won't know for a long time uh
1: or oh, who, whose career yeah. blossoms or not yeah yes life yeah. life is what it is
2: yeah but but it is it is exciting and the yeah. and the common ones are very important are. as an early career award and something that's coming out
1: and a point, point, point of encouragement quite often for someone who maybe is wondering if they have what it takes
2: right yeah. and sometimes you be in a position where. You'll have a novel out, and it, it's got a bit of attention. It's first novel, but not you know a huge amount. And you'll have your second novel will come out, and there you are, and having Campbell recognition at that point can be a huge thing for your career and for your confidence. Yeah. Yes,
1: uh, even,
2: even if you don't even if you don't win, and yes. I, I really do think it's the nomination that is the most. I agree. Thing. Couldn't agree more. Um, in fact um, Patrick, Patrick Nielsen Hayden says that I'm the only person who ever said that in a Hugo acceptance speech because <laughs> uh, when I won for among others yeah. in Chicago I, I hadn't written a speech <laughs> because I was sure I wouldn't win <laughs> because no I, I, I was just absolutely sure the Dots with Dragons would yeah. win um, and, uh, and I hadn't written a speech so I was just making it up and I pretty much said, you know, being nominated was enough. <laughs> was, yes, have it back. That's the important thing. <laughs> that was enough. I didn't expect you to give me the award. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> way more than I expected. <laughs>
1: Uh, well, yeah. on that note, I'll say thank you for making the time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you for having me on. It's always a lot of fun.
1: And I, I look forward to toasting the Hugo winners on Sunday night.
2: Mm-hmm. That will be fun. Too.
1: It should be fun. I'll see you at the after party, I hope. Turn this thing off. And then we will yeah. be...